Welcome to the New Freedom Church podcast. This podcast will help you grow deeper in your faith through weekly 30-minute talks. If you haven't already done so, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you get each new episode as it's released. Now sit back and relax as God speaks to you through this message. So this year, 2024, is the year of discipleship at New Freedom Church. What is a disciple? A disciple is a disciplined one. As a master teacher takes an apprentice and begins to instruct and to show and by example lead them how to do a a certain task or a certain job, Jesus called disciples. In fact, he called 12 disciples and they walked with him, they talked with him. For three and a half years, Jesus, like the master teacher, was showing them the way and he actually revealed to them that he not only was showing them the way, but he was the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by him. And so as disciples, we want to find out more and more every single day, how can we walk in the way of Jesus? How can we follow the pattern that he has set aside for us? And that's what I want to continue on today. This is part two on relate. Everybody say relate. We relate with one another. We relate with God. And we also relate with our environment or the things all around us every single day. We are relational beings. God created us to be that way. In fact, in the garden, God said it was not good for man to be alone. So he created Eve, a helpmeet, a relator to Adam so that they would have a partnership. They would have a koinonia, a fellowship, and a oneness. And today, I want to talk about how we relate to our possessions because How we relate to our possessions is a major key to discipleship. Now, I'll say at the onset, most of my pastor friends, we talk about this, and and we do not look forward every year, usually in February. If you're just dipping in and out, you know, just stay away from church in February. It's probably going to have the money talk somewhere in it, and and we, we don't look forward to this talk because the church has not always been a great example in the past for how it has used its money. Whether you look at the the Middle Ages and you can see the excesses or you even go to the Reformation period and you can see that the the church put in all these indulgences to try to guilt people out of money and to contort them and and offering the church services of prayer primarily to get their loved ones out of purgatory or something like that. The church hasn't historically had a good track record on how it spent its finances. Or you can even look at modern day examples of the excesses of lavish living on the part of some in Christian ministry. Now, there is plenty of good wisdom for you to apply when investing your hard-earned dollars. But I want to talk more broadly today than just money, although we'll be addressing money. I want to talk about stewardship. Everybody say stewardship. And this is how, as disciples, that we relate to our possessions. I'm looking around the room, and every one of us have possessions. Every one of us our possessing clothing that we wore in here today. We didn't come in with no clothes. Even uh, past this morning, uh, after I I left the store, I passed a a little encampment here in in Lebanon of people sleeping right underneath a a shelter, local strip mall area. They have possessions. They have them in bags. They're sitting there. Even the poorest among us, what we consider homeless, have possessions. We all have something. Matthew 6 and 19 Jesus is speaking here, and in your Bible, these words are probably read, because in the scripture, anything referred to that Jesus said is written in red. And so it says this, 
Do not. Let's say that together. Do not. Listen, I'm an audience participation preacher. If you participate, I'll get you out of here a whole lot sooner, okay? All right, so just, just pace with me. Do not. Say it with me. Do not. Lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where, where's he talking about? He's talking about here, right? And then he's going, he's going to give us an exposition as to why. Where moth and rust destroy. Anybody worried recently about moths destroying your stuff? Probably not, but this was in the vernacular of their day. This was what Jesus was applying to them. He says, do not lay up for yourselves all these treasures on earth because they tarnish. They, they can get old. They, they rust. Moths can come in. Canker worms and locusts and all these other uh, invaders will come in and take these things. And he also says this, where thieves break in and steal. Has anybody ever had anything stolen from you? You know, there is a complete violation of your rights, it feels like, when someone steals something from you. I mean, it, is, it is, makes you downright indignant. And Jesus is saying, I have a hedge against that. It's okay to have stuff, but, but when you lay up treasures, when you treasure what you have on earth, it can get old, moths can come in, it can rust, and people can break in and steal. But Jesus says in verse 20, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Hmm. How do you do that, Jesus? All the time Jesus is talking to his disciples, they're just standing by in the crowd, and they're, they're shaking their head like they get it completely. Like they look like the smartest ones in the room, right? Oh, yeah, Jesus said, treasures in heaven. But then as soon as they get away from the crowd, they'd get Jesus off to the side and say, hey, what do you really mean by that, Jesus? And Jesus says, don't lay up for yourself treasures on this earth, but in heaven. And we're going to talk about how that happens. We're neither moth nor rust destroys and we're thieves do not break in and steal how many are glad that in heaven there's no thieving there's no robbery there's no stealing there's no lying there's no cheating there's no just kind of operating in the gray edges and then he says this for where your treasure is there your heart will be also john wesley talks about the different conversions that a person goes through and that uh, the first conversion is one of our, our intellect and our mind. And it can come in different phases, but he said there's actually a mental assent that we give to the gospel message. And then there is a conversion of our heart and our lives being dedicated to the cause of Christ. But he said the last part of a man to get converted is his pocketbook, his wallet. He said, in fact, uh, I saw one day the man was running away from, from these thieves, and he said this guy just broke out a, a pistol, and he shot him right in the wallet, and the guy fell dead. Because where his treasure was, there his heart was. He had it all wrapped up in the things of this life. So according to Jesus, if we take the long view, how many planners do we have in the room? You like to plan. You, you strategize. You plan ahead. You, you think for the future. You're not just simply for a today thinker, but you're, you're having to go through a process of saying, okay, what will happen next week and the week after that? Now, some of us, we just live by the seat of our pants, right? Well, whatever happens, happens whatever the day may bring, right? But most of us are trained, we're taught to take a little bit longer view in life. And Jesus says that when you take the longer view, that we all have been entrusted with something as stewards. We all have possessions. And it has a dual benefit for us because we get to enjoy the possessions in this life, and then we also get to store up things for the next life. Notice what Jesus says here, that in this life, we get to enjoy things as they come. Our needs are taken care of, and we even get to have some of our wants. Thanks be to God. Isn't it wonderful? We get to have some of those things. The next thing is that when we are good stewards, we get to bless other people 
with the things that are in our lives. We get to be generous. We get to be givers. You know, giving is an attribute of God. For God so loved the world, he gave. He gave his very best. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16, but you know John 3.17 is just as good. It may be better. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's John 3.17. I'd like to see that one up on the goalpost behind the football game, wouldn't you? That's a, that's a beautiful verse. This world thinks that the church is just against everything. No, we're for life. We're for people. We're for God. We're for enjoying all of the great benefits of being this embodied people that God has called us to be in his likeness and in his image. And we're going to walk out the purposes that he's called us to. Like they said in the song, like Sister Sarah testified, God's purpose, God's plan. Not putting God in these little confines of our own making. God wants us to joyfully enjoy things. We take the long view because we get to enjoy the resources, but also... The other thing that this passage says is that we get to invest, hear me, we get to sow into and invest into an eternal kingdom. You and I may never see all of the results of the seed sown in this life for the gospel and for the kingdom of God. Every now and then you will get the opportunity. You will live long enough or you'll, you'll go around that path enough that you will get to see the gospel seeds that were planted. And you'll get to, to realize that something you did years ago for the cause of Christ has now percolated from a little seed, a little sapling, into a full-grown plant, a tree. And that's wonderful, but you don't always get that. And so what Jesus is saying is that you have the ability, through your good stewardship of your possessions here and now, to store up treasures in heaven. That is, that people who you may never see or touch we'll get to hear of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yesterday, I attended a funeral uh, for uh, Pastor Matt and Bobby's uh, dad who, who went to be at the Lord, Paul. And uh, I, I saw the tribute rolling in of, of all of the, the different people that he had blessed. And I called a pastor friend of mine here locally, and I said, um, I need you to be on standby for our marriage conference because we may need a speaker. And he said, no problem, I'd be glad to. What, what's the situation? And I said, well, uh, Paul Brothers, he, he passed and, and probably going to be having his funeral this weekend. And he said, do you remember that mission trip that you and I went to in Honduras in 2020, just two weeks before COVID? I said, yeah, I'll never, I'll never forget that. He said, did you know that the, the time that we traveled down there, uh, I had been talking to Paul, and he and I were business partners on a whole other project, and he funded 80% of that mission trip, and we went down there to minister to those pastors. I had no idea. I had no idea that he had given to that trip over four years ago that we took. Gospel seeds planted yesterday that have been continuing to grow day by day, week by week, month by month, in every single year. And they keep calling us from Honduras, come back, come back, we want you to come back. Because there was something eternal that was done for the kingdom of God. So let me, let me just get to the possessions piece of this minute. How do we end up with possessions? How do you get those clothes? How, how, do you, how do you end up with the, the automobile that you drove in here in? How, how do you get the possessions in your life? Well, most of us are not born into royalty, so we don't receive a, a silver spoon in our mouth when we're born and, and get some large inheritance. Maybe over time, uh, people in your life, the loved ones, they, they pass on, they may leave you an inheritance, leave you something, and that's great, and you get possessions that way. But for most of us, for the large majority in here, most of us, 
We gain possessions through our work, through our labor, through the sweat of our brow, through, through what we put our hands to to apply ourselves to work in our craft, our occupation. We, we put into our lives the most precious commodity, which is T-I-M-E. Your time is more precious than your money. Just talk to anybody on their deathbed, and they'll never tell you, I wish I'd have made more money. I wish I had a little bit more in the bank account. No, they'll tell you, I wish I had a little more time. wish I would have made better use of the time that I was given. And so in terms of discipleship, our labor, our job, our work, our profession is an entity that God has blessed us with by which we can accumulate and things come into our lives. If you notice, in, in the very first story of the Bible, Adam and Eve were given an inheritance. You might miss this. It's easier to read over this. But Adam and Eve were given an inheritance. It was a garden. They were given a garden. They were told, you can read this, they were told that it was their task, it was their job to tend and to keep that garden. The only place that you will find success before work is in the dictionary. Check it. You'll, get, you'll find that out later. You check me out on it. Even Adam and Eve had to tend and to care for their inheritance, the possessions that they had. Notice this. They could eat of every tree of the garden, except there was one, we'll call that the divine portion, that they were not forbidden to eat from. Notice. They were able, it was possible for them to consume of that tree. You know why I know? Because I read the next chapter. They ate of that tree. But God told them this. That divine portion, don't eat from it. I would, in other words, God's saying, it's not good if you do. The consequences are a higher price than what you would pay if you do. Of all the trees you should eat, but not that one. Leave that one alone. Now, God did not put a flaming torch in front of it that they couldn't eat. They could, and they did. And we know the, the consequences that happened. They had access to everything but that one tree. And so there was one divine portion that God said, have use of everything, but don't use that one for your own consumption. It was set aside, and it was not used. We'll come back to that later. But just know that God fully intends... God fully delights and wants you to enjoy the fruit of your labor. This is not a message for people to take a poverty vow, for, for you to take some kind of vow to, to give away all of your means and all your possessions. Look at 1 Timothy 6. Here's the great uh, wisdom from the Apostle Paul. He said, command, wow, this is a strong, this strong language, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. Okay, now let's, let's define rich. Rich is always somebody else, not me. I'm not rich. They're rich. The neighborhood they live in, that's a rich neighborhood. The cars they drive, that's a, that's a rich person. The clothes they wear, that's a rich person. Years ago in the downtown church, I've told this before, but it's just good. You know, when you've been pastor at church 18 years, you're going to hear my stories a couple times, all right? So just humor me. Somebody new didn't hear this yet. We were in the downtown church, and there's this neighborhood, there's this, this uh, family that would come on foot, and we were finishing up vacation Bible school uh, one evening, and I don't know, Carson and Caden were probably seven or eight, something like that. And uh, these kids were going to have to walk home. And it wasn't far. It was just a few blocks away. And so Holly looked at me. She said, come on, let's just take them home. I said, okay, that's fine. They got in the car, and our kids got in the car. And 
Holly and I had this little, little uh, agreement that when our kids were young, every car we had, we were going to make sure that we would splurge just a little bit, enough so that we could get the flip-down TVs in the headrest or the, the flip-down TV. It was the way that when we're talking bad about all the members, our kids wouldn't have to rehearse it at church the next. I mean, there was a real process behind this. Sorry, you get up here, just, it's like a truth serum. You've got to tell the truth. But, but we, we, would, we would always have the kids put on their ears. We'd say, put on your ears. They'd, they'd put on their ears. We, we'd have conversation, husband and wife talk, you know. So these kids, they got in our car. There's three of them. They, they jumped in. They got in the back seat. And I heard the little boy in the back. He said, see there? See, I told you they were rich. He saw those TVs. <laughs> so rich is really all relative. It, it, it's a, it's a, a sense of, of our perspective, what we're, what we're um, exposed to. But Paul says, command those who are rich in the present age not to be haughty. In other words, like showy or, or proud about it. Not to trust. Everybody say trust. Here, here's the key. He didn't say you can't have riches. Obviously, there were rich people in the church because he's talking to them in a command form, not to trust in uncertain riches, but in what? The living God. And why does he say riches are uncertain? Because like the waves of the sea crash into our lives, riches can disappear like that. We put our trust in God. Even the U.S. government is smart enough to have not taken off the back of their dollar backs. In the treasury we trust, in the military we trust? Our founding fathers had it right. In God we trust. In God we trust. He says, don't trust in those things, but in the living God who gives us, get this, please, there's no guilt to this message. I, I am not a guilt-ridden preacher. Listen, the Holy Ghost is good enough at his job. I don't have to get in his way. If it's conviction, it's of the Spirit. It's not of Job. Because the apostle said, God gives us richly all things to enjoy. And it, it back to what Jesus was saying about, it's okay to have these things, but where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Where is your heart? It's a, it's a heart matter. Let them do good that they may be rich in, watch this, good works, ready to give, willing to share. Storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may hold on to eternal life for the time to come this is parallel you would think that paul and jesus are reading from the same chapter or something right it always humors me when one of our bible school uh, sunday morning or monday night teachers will say you preached my message sunday morning yeah it's almost like we read out of the same book isn't it kind of amazing so paul is saying that there is a time to come and never take your eye off that eternal focus that it's okay to have things here but those who are rich and I want to tell you, in this room right now, compared to the country I just got back from a couple weeks ago, we are 99.9% .9 rich people in this room. Did you have clean drinking water? This morning, did you brush your teeth? That's a trick question. Of course you did. Did, did you have to use bottled water to brush your teeth? That's what we had to do for an entire week. Were you allowed to sing in the shower down there? They have a sign, don't sing in the shower. You can't take that in. There's parasites in that. They don't have clean, clean and fresh water. You go through some of these towns, and there's an irrigation ditch in the middle, right, right on the side of the road. You'll see a woman washing her, her pig and a kid playing in it about three blocks down. Same water. We're rich. Church, we're rich. We are richly blessed. 
And I'm not guilty about living in the great U.S. of A. I thank God. But it, we could have been born elsewhere. Except for the grace of God, there go I. He says, command them to store up a good foundation for the time to come. So God gives us richly all things to enjoy. And he has wired us with a sense of knowing. The Ecclesiastes says that eternity is planted in the heart of man. We are wired with a knowing that this life is not all there is. That there is something after this. And the Bible tells us that we will someday stand before God and we will give an account. That it is appointed unto man once to die and then to face judgment. Nobody gets out of this thing alive. You're going to stand before God. But generosity is not, hear me, is not a normal human desire. The normal human desire, especially in America, is a consumption assumption. I know that's tough to hear, but here, listen to me. It's a consumption assumption. We assume that we must consume because it has come our way. If we have it, we must use it. But the kingdom of God actually flips that around, and it tells us that we are freely to enjoy all things, and we are to be ready for good works, to be ready to give and willing to share. So generosity, when I talk about possessions, is a godly principle. And a principle can be strict and it can be flexible. Let me just read you a definition here. A principle helps us to know how to live. An ideal tells us where we would like to go. So we have these idyllic dreams and thoughts in our head. We have these plans, these things we want to do. These are ideals. We don't live in the ideal, we live in the real. And so we have principles that guide us to the ideal. A principle guides your actions regardless of the situation. So a principle helps you to, to have that rudder in your life that you know which way to go, even if everything on the outside isn't turning out the way you would ideally like it to be. Okay, you follow me? An ideal usually guides your actions, but only insofar as it pertains to the ends that you want to accomplish. So the ideal is really uh, what of your own making. You are, uh, you're made in the image and likeness of God, so you have a creativity about you. You and I have dreams and aspirations and goals. There's nothing wrong with that. It's how God made us. And that is the ideal world, but principles help to guide us. You follow me? A principle is rigid in a sense that it doesn't change according to the external circumstances. Hear me. A principle is rigid in that it will be that guidance through the rough waters or even through the smooth sailing. But it's also flexible, providing guidance that can be applied in all circumstances and in all contexts. A, proper, a properly biblical principle is one that the Bible fixes for us so it never inherently conflicts with the demands of reality, even if our application of the principle may. So in other words, what, what this is saying is that godly principles are just there. They're just part of life. Let, let me give you an example. Because I'm about to talk about a Bible principle, and if I take a little bit more time today, you'll be okay, won't you? You'll you be all right? Everybody? Okay, give me an extra five minutes. We were at a marriage conference this weekend. Somebody said, can I have a little extra time? I said, yeah, you can have about an extra 10 minutes. They took 25. I said, you must be a preacher. They weren't. They weren't. Biblical principles. The Bible gives us a principle for procreating the earth. When one man and one woman come together in holy matrimony, and they come together in intimacy, the result is that offspring happens, children are born. 
This is a biblical principle. A biblical principle that we don't get mad about, that, that none of us really give, give much guff about, is that if you want people to do good to you, then you do good to them. We call it the golden rule, Matthew 17. If you do good to people, they'll do good to you. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. A biblical principle is this. Ready? The soul that sins shall surely die. Biblical principle. Like, there's no getting out of it. Biblical principle. Forgiveness equals freedom. Now, we know that on an intellectual level. The biblical principle is that forgiveness is better than bitterness. Forgiveness is better than unforgiveness. We know this. But somehow, we trick our brains to think we're a special case. That we can harbor just a little bit of unforgiveness and still walk in freedom. And the truth is, and the fact is, you may feel good getting back with the revenge for today. You may feel good at the retaliation for tomorrow. But that thing will creep up on you again. And the biblical principle cannot be denied that forgiveness equals freedom. Nothing else will give you that freedom. God so loved that he sent his son to forgive. We needed forgiveness. And so this is a biblical principle. Biblical principles are guiding ships like a rudder. So let me share with you the biblical principle of tithe. Everybody say tithe. It's a Bible word that means 10%. Tenth, that's what it means, tenth. Now, when I say the word tithe, immediately somebody's religious spirit gets all the cackles get up on their, the, the, the back of their neck. They don't, I mean, people will get fighting mad with you for tithe. And here's what I get often. Preacher, you know that word tithe, that principle of tithe, that's old law. We're not under the old covenant. That's old covenant. Okay, fair enough. Let's examine the context of tithe in looking at our possessions then, okay, shall we? Thank you for the encouragement. Yes, thanks, Mom. I appreciate that. Uh, Genesis chapter 14 Verse 18, then Melchizedek. This is the first time we see the word tithe mentioned, okay? So this is a principle of first mention. There, there's a, a principle in God's word about first mention. Anyway, Genesis 14, 18. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, for he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand, Watch this. And he gave him a tithe of all. It's a biblical principle. Now, nobody got mad when I went over, the, well, some, some did, but they're probably watching online. When I gave, gave the other principles, this is a biblical principle that Abram gave unto Melchizedek, the king of Salem, a tithe of all of the spoil. Now, later on, Abram, Abram gets a new name. His name is Abraham. Everybody, Father Abraham had many sons. You can see it. And many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. Kelly, we need to get some of them back in kids' church to learn some of these good songs. Let's just praise the Lord, right arm, left arm, right foot, left foot, turn around. You don't even know what you're missing out on. Abraham, Father, this is who we're talking about, Father Abraham. Now, interesting thing about Abraham is that all three major faiths of the world, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, trace their roots back to Father Abraham, every one of them. It starts getting a little bit divergent and murky from there. So Father Abraham is respected in all three of the, the world's major religions. That's the main we're talking about. He 
knew on the inside that he was to give a rendering, an offering, something to give to this king that helped him to deliver him out of the hands of his enemies. There is something innate, we know it on the inside, that all that we have really isn't just for us, but, but there, is, there is this flow to life. Why do, they, why do you think they call money currency? Because it's meant to flow. They don't call it a dam. They don't call it a, a blockade. We call it currency because it's meant to flow. It flows in and out of your life. When I was 16, I had just been saved a short time. And uh, I wanted to go to every church revival, every meeting. Every time the doors were open, I wanted to be there. I had such a zeal for the Lord, I wanted to be there. I lived in Wilmington. I had just gotten my first car. It was a 1982 Volkswagen Rabbit two-door silver Beetle. No, it wasn't a Beetle, I'm sorry. It was a Rabbit. It was a Rabbit. A 1982 Rabbit, it was a diesel. That's what I meant to say, it's a diesel. I think it had about 82 horsepower. It was a five-speed, and I was so proud of that car. And I got such good gas mileage that I, we didn't have Google Maps and that kind of thing. You know, I could MapQuest where I want to go. Anybody remember MapQuest? I know Sister Angie does. She just had to use it this week. Uh, <laughs> AT&T was down. Sorry for you all. I got Verizon. Call me up. Can you hear me now? Sorry. Um, I, was, I was going from Wilmington to Hamilton for this church meeting. It was revival on a Thursday night. I'll never forget this night. On my way over to church, I knew that my gas tank, based upon the mileage for my diesel, if I would drive under 55 miles an hour, if I'd go 54, I had just enough gas to get me to Hamilton and back to Wilmington. I knew that for a fact. I was, and I was going by faith, and I was not going to speed. Now I got a little more money, I'd go a little faster. Nine-year fine, ten-year mine. No, 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 you guys do that. You guys do that. But I knew I had exactly enough. And on my way, I pulled into church, and I, I, the Lord was working on me because I knew, like in, in old-time church, we used to pass an offering plate. Not, not just any offering plate, but like the metal clinky offering plates. When you put in dollar bills, nobody hears that, but when you put in the coins, now you know you're in a redneck church if they start making change out of the offering. Trust me, I've seen it all. But I knew that they were going to pass the offering, and I really wanted to participate in the offering that night. I mean, I really, truly wanted to. Didn't have hardly any, any gas left in my tank. I had enough to get back home. And, and I just resolved that, Lord, I, I, you know my heart. I don't have anything. I didn't have not even $1 in my pocket. I mean, I was, I was a broke school kid. Anybody ever been there? Some of you are broke adults. You're like, I'm in there. So I, I remember parking my car, and I reached over to unlatch the, the seat buckle. And when I turned to open the door, I heard something cling. And I looked down. And there was a nickel, five cents. There was a nickel that fell right down on the little metal piece on the door frame. Immediately, my thought was, there's your offering. And then my next thought was, that's embarrassing. I'm not going to put that nickel, cling like one nickel. It's different if you've got like four or five quarters you can throw in the offering. But you, you know what I'm talking about. We need to get some silver offering buckets back over here. I wish I thought of that. Good illustration. I remember as the offering came through, I'm still like debating, what's five cents going to do? What's a nickel? That, that's nothing to God. I mean, look at this. This place was big. This church probably sat 1,200 people, and it was full, and we had a wonderful service. But sure enough, my heart started pounding. I knew I was supposed to participate in that offering. I took out that nickel. And, you know, 
as it came through, I didn't want to cling it, so I just got to the felt part, and I just let it down very gently. They wouldn't have known if I put dollars or not. They wouldn't know if I put the most famous president in church or not. You know who the most famous president comes to church, right? George Washington. But anyway, um, I put that in there, and I've just felt this relief. I'm like, oh, I, I participated. It's good. The service is good. I got ready to leave. This guy I didn't even know, but he, he went to our church, and he was at the same meeting. He said, he said, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Before you go, hey, I just want to shake your hand. And that's when I learned what a Pentecostal handshake was. Pentecostal handshake is when you pull your hand back, there's some bills in your hand. I got me a Pentecostal handshake that night. And I don't know if it was because I gave my nickel or not, but I was obedient to the Lord. And I gave of what I had, like that little widow that gave her two mites. And, and Jesus said, yeah, all you are giving out of your abundance, but she, she put in the most. She gave out of her sacrifice. I had to weather through that embarrassment and all those, those different thoughts in my head. And trust me, there is no message, there is no principle that will battle you more than in the area of your giving, in the area of your possessions of trusting God with what you have. You will be so battled in mind that the enemy will tell you you can't. Oh, there's no way you can do that. You'll bankrupt yourself if you do that. You, you can't do that. But I want you to see that Abraham, Father Abraham, gave a tithe 400 years before the law. 400 years before the Old Testament. So when someone says, well, pastor, tithings of the Old Covenant, I said, actually, you're wrong. It's before the Old Covenant. Now, it's reinstituted in the Old Covenant. Leviticus 27 and 30 says, and this is, old, this is the law, and all the tithe of the land, whether a seed or land, of the fruit of the tree, it's the Lord's. It's holy to the Lord. Somebody say, it's holy to the Lord. So tithing was before the law. It was during the law. And I want to show you something else. Just like in Eden, there was a tree. The tithe is recognized throughout Scripture as a divine portion. God says, use the 90, bring the 10. Eat of all of that, enjoy everything, have stuff, it's great. But bring back the divine portion to me. Now, some argue that tithing is not a New Testament concept. And therefore, we should not feel guilty or bound to practice it today. And I would say, you're partially right. You're partially right. We should not feel guilty about whether we tithe or not. It's, it's not a guilt issue. In fact, tithing is not a heaven or hell issue. It's not one of these things where, I've heard it all my life, people say, well, if you don't tithe, you're not going to be blessed. That's wrong. It's like parents in the 70s telling their kids, don't smoke marijuana, you'll turn green. As soon as their friends took a hit, they realized, my friends didn't turn green. Parents lied to me. Don't let anybody tell you that if you're not a tither, you can't be blessed. Some of the most wealthy, financially wealthy people in this world, they're in Congress, and they give about 2% of their income. You can see it on their tax returns. That deserves an applaud. Come on. Anytime you rail on Congress. No, I'm serious. There are people who are mega wealthy, and they're not generous. They don't give. They, they certainly don't tithe. Some of them do. Some of them have made a pledge to give all their money away. But, but here's what I want to tell you. To say that this is not a New Testament concept, therefore we're not bound to practice it today, is really not the, the whole story. But as you'll see, tithing was before the law. It was during the law. And let me tell you this. It was a principle that was practiced after the law. Everybody say after. It's a principle of design, divine portion. Matthew 23 
and 23. Now, some of you have never seen this before because you've, you've only heard Bible teachers tell you tithing's not New Testament. Raise your hand if you've ever heard tithing's not New Testament. Two of you. Okay, that's okay. I'll preach to two of you then. Probably more of us. We've heard this. Jesus said, these are the words of Jesus, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Boy, Jesus. Man, and you look back, he said, do not, woe to you. Is it a, it really makes me wonder, how did 5,000 people, not including men and women, follow Jesus all the time? He's telling them this kind of stuff. Here's what he says. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin. These are like spices. I don't know how that you know 10% of sand granules or anise and cumin, but they did. They were letter of the law. They tithe. And Jesus said, woe to you. You tithe anise and cumin, mint, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, faith. You ought to have done those things without leaving the others undone. Here's what Jesus is saying. Tithing? Well, sure. We ask all these questions today. It was firmly established in the first century mindset. This wasn't even really a debatable issue for them. Jesus said, sure, you do that, but you leave the weightier matters undone. For some of us, it's much easier to throw some money into the offering plate and never, ever really commit our heart to Jesus, never, ever serve our local church, never sign up to say, I want to give somebody who's been serving six months in the kids' area a little break so they can come in and worship. It's easier for us to just say, oh, witnessing and evangelism, that's for the preacher. That's what we pay the staff to do. No. It is the job of the church staff, it is the job of the fivefold ministry to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's what being a disciple is. That we all have equal share in this thing. We're not going to stand before God someday and he said, well, what was your position at the church? Check the roster. Check the attendance. Did they attend well? Did they give well? None of that is even going to be a matter. It's where is your heart. It is all a heart matter. Jesus didn't pat them on the back for giving special attention to the strict line of tithing that these little granules that they could set them out but he validated that it makes good sense that basically what Jesus is saying hey that's entry-level stuff there are weightier matters money's of little sacrifice that's entry-level stuff and then Jesus goes on and this is challenging because Jesus says to me and you unless your righteousness exceeds goes beyond that of the Pharisees you will by no way enter the kingdom of heaven. So if you just feel a little bit stifled by the teaching of 10%, if you just feel a little bit constricted by that and it's rough and you don't like it, me too. Let's just, let's just do this. Let's forget about all that 10% stuff. Let's give God 100%. Let's give him everything. Let's give him our possessions. Let's give him our life. Let's say, Lord, use me. Fill me up. Make me broken bread and poured out wine for your service. I've never heard anybody argue 10% that wants to be more generous. I'll just leave that alone. Jesus said this is entry-level stuff. So our goal should be not only to get to that level, but to get beyond that level, because while it's not true that you have to tithe to be blessed, there's a little song that you see, sing, sing in church, if you don't pay your tithe, God will take it out of your hide. It's not true. It's not true. He's a gracious God. He doesn't work that way. 
while it's true you don't have to tithe be blessed, I have never known a tither not blessed. My mentor just testified a week ago. He, you know, he didn't even know I was preaching this message. He's been tithing for 50 years. And the results, not to make anybody feel guilty, but the results of a blessed life. Wow. I've seen that example. I've witnessed that, that walk. For the last 28 years, I've witnessed it in his own life. You can tell whether someone believes something by what they practice. Don't practice what I preach. Practice what I practice. This is what we practice. It's what I teach to my kids. That, that's where, where, where you know the rubber meets the road. What do you teach your kids? What are you teaching at home? Well, how, how is your life living? So a generous person has a kingdom heart that 10% is not the ending point. They realize that all that they have, all they possess, belongs to God. They are an owner of nothing, a steward of everything. And here's been the great joy of the last 18 years of pastoring this church. If I could enumerate it, I would, but so many times when something has needed done for the church, someone who possessed a talent, a skill, a, a resource, have sprung into action. Just, just if I could make a list of the miracles of us just coming into this, this facility and complex when we moved in here eight years ago, of all of the business people and all of the ones that donated their craft, their skill, their talent. You have lights in here today because someone came in and wired this place for free, didn't charge the church. You have gravel back there because somebody said, I want to gravel the entire back way. You have a, a, a barn back there that's completely sheeted around and garage doors on it. We do three ministries out of that barn because somebody said, my business can help and do that. We have HVAC all the time. People coming in here. We had one that went out the other day. I got, I got to brag on God, Rodney. Our, our uh, oven went out uh, two weeks ago, I think. Our, our, uh, we had some gas issues in the church. Anybody bored with this? I can quit if you're bored. All right. Sorry. You know, it's, hey, I was out of town for a week. I got to make up some time. We had a little gas issue that, that happened in here, and we had an interruption in our line. City of Lebanon came, and everything shut down. They, they upgraded, gave us a free brand-new meter. Praise the Lord, free brand-new meter. Uh, and, and so our, our pilot lights went out, and someone came in. The city of Lebanon lit the top pilots, and uh, they didn't light the oven. Well, last week we had men's breakfast. That's tough if you don't have an oven to make stuff in. And so we were trying to get out here. I called Brother Rodney, and he was in prayer and fasting because he didn't come out for another week. Um, but <laughs> he, he, he said, I'm not eating a men's breakfast, so what do I care? No, I'm kidding. Um, every now and then you just get a funny bone. I'm sorry. He came out this week because we had this marriage conference and we needed an oven. And, and so I said, hey, can you get out? Yeah, I'll be out. He came out this week and, and he messaged me later. He's, he's laughing. He said, what are the odds? I had this tiny little toolbox with me and the flux capacitor went out of the oven. I don't know what it was really called, but I like flux capacitor. He said, the flux capacitor went out. I just so happened in my little box to have another flux capacitor. Took me back in time a little bit when he said that. No. Um, You'll get it. Uh, for 20 years, this little part had been in his box. And he said, oh, let me just go see. Now, this, this oven's probably three years old. So the part he had in his box predates this by at least 17 years. He went out there. He put the little part, 20-year-old, in the oven. And he messaged me. He said, it works. It works great. It works fine for us on Saturday. Praise God. It works fine. And the good thing is, if he was going to bill us for that, but he hasn't, he won't now. I mean, 
that's just the good part about testifying, you know. People feel real guilty charging you after you testify. Um, and so not only is it a witness that that barn full of old stuff that he never threw away and a lot of you guys keep everything, you, you need to, right? Tell your wife. It might be necessary sometimes. No, God planned that 20 years prior. Why? Because this church is a giving church. This is a generous church. We just did our business meeting. We do it every January. If you're interested in the finances and how we spend money, we fully disclose all of that every, every year uh, in January. And we gave away 15% of everything that came through our door, more than 15% of everything that came through here. So I'm not telling you something we don't practice. Let's give God a hand for that. That's good news. So they're going to come, and I'm going to close with this. I want to say start where you are. Everybody say start where you are. Let's get practical for a moment. If the stats are remotely correct, 60% of us sitting in this room, 60% of Americans, according to the stat, live paycheck to paycheck. That means that the thought of 10% coming out your next pay period to go and be given away is terrifying to you. 5%, really anything, because we're living paycheck to paycheck. So practically, there's no guilt. There's no shame. And I'm not ashamed to tell and to declare about godly principles and to testify of the results of it in my own life. But I will say this. Start where you are. Start by giving something up next week so that you have something to give. And go to that next level. Become a proportional giver. And then ratchet that up to another level and another level. And before the end of the year, you will be at a level where now you're generously giving and you're able to give. And here's what you'll find. Like the children of Israel, their shoes didn't wear out. There was food every day. Their car lasted longer. I know they didn't have cars, but it's good contemporary. Things will last longer. When you give to God, it's like, wow, I don't even know how that happened. Start where you are. So into the lifeline that is giving you life. Now, there might be a case that we could make to say that the tithe belongs to the local church. I don't even want to go there, but, but I want to say giving to your local church is not the only place to be generous. A generous person finds opportunities to give and to bless people all around. But I had a lady one time come to me, God rest her soul, she's not alive anymore. She said, Pastor, it was after church, we were standing right back there. She said, Pastor, I love this television preacher. I've got $100 to give and I usually give it to the church. But he really needs to stay on air. Should I give him 80% of it and give 20% to the church? And I said, ma'am, you can give anything you want to anybody you want. But let me ask you a question. If your electricity goes off today when you get home, do you call Kroger and tell them, hey, my electric went off? No, you're going to call your electric company. When you have a need in your life, when you want to worship, when you need to offer something to God, when you need to serve in a community and you need to give back in, in a way that God has blessed you, do you give it through the television preacher? Do you call them to be at your bedside or do you call your local? Well, okay, call, she got it. Feed that which feeds you. Feed that which feeds you. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy and the Holy Ghost. God can do immeasurably, exceeding abundantly more with your 10% than you can give with your do with your 10%. And here's the closing point. 
Deuteronomy 8 and 18. You might just want to write this one down because this will preach all by itself. And you shall remember the Lord your God. Here's what Moses is saying. Don't forget the one who brought you out of bondage. Don't forget the one who parted the Red Sea. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. You woke up and breathed this morning, you exhaled because of the Spirit of God. It is he who gives you the power to get up and drag your bones out of bed on Monday and go into that work. It is he that gives you the ideas and the creativity and the connectivity and the connections and the relationships. It is he who gives you the power to get wealth watch this, that he may establish his covenant. Everybody say covenant. Serve a covenant God. That he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Verse 19, then it shall be. If you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow after other gods, follow after money, if your heart is in possessions, if you're following after that next little getaway and that next purchase and that next thing, if you follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day, you will surely perish. God's covenant being established is that whosoever will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That none should perish, but that all should come to repentance and the knowledge of the truth. When you partner with God financially, what you're doing is you're saying, God, there's another one, another soul, another opportunity to hear the life-changing, gospel-changing message of the gospel. The enemy thought he had me. But Jesus said, you are mine. Let's worship the Lord.